0: Welcome back to another episode of the Nighttime Short Stories podcast with your host, me, Ash Balls. This is a podcast where every Friday night at 9.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I read a short story or poetry written by an author from long ago or a modern-day author. The author that is read from here is then showcased for the week on the Facebook page by the same name, so you're going to want to follow it. If you're an author and would like your short stories or poetry showcased on the podcast as well as Facebook page for the week, you can get a hold of us in the link in the bio. And that's where you can also find the link to the Facebook page as well. But thank you to everyone who listens from iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and anywhere else you might be listening from. I truly do appreciate it. So let's get started, shall we? The author that I've chosen for this week is Ms. Dame Agatha Christie. And anyone who knows anything of her story knows exactly why I chose her. But this woman randomly went missing during a period of her life and then showed up and never for the rest of her life explained what happened and claimed to have no memory of the event whatsoever. There are many other amazing things about her that you can check out on the Facebook page as well when I write the bio out for you guys as well as you guys getting to see the interesting facts closer to the to the end of the week but definitely for sure check out the nighttime short stories Facebook page and check out Miss Agatha Christie shall we begin? THE TRAGEDY AT Marsden MANOR I had been called away from a town for a few days, and on my return found a in the act of strapping up his small valise. A la bonne heure, Hastings, I feared you would not have returned in time to accompany me. You were called away on a case then? Yes, though I am bound to admit that, on the face of it, the affair does not seem promising. The Northern Union Insurance Company have asked me to investigate the death of Mr. Maltravers, who a few weeks ago insured his life with them for a large sum of £50,000. Yes, I said, much interested. There was, of course, the usual suicide clause in the policy, and the event of him committing suicide within a year of the premiums would be forfeited. Mr. Maltravers was duly examined by the company's own doctor, and although he was a man slightly past the prime of life, was passed as being in quite sound health however on wednesday last the day before yesterday the body of mr Mel Travers was found in the grounds of his house in essex marsden manor and the cause of his death described as some kind of internal hemorrhage that in itself would be nothing remarkable but sinister rumors as to mr maltravers financial position have been in the air as of late and the northern union have ascertained beyond any possible doubt that the deceased gentleman stood upon the verge of bankruptcy now that alters matters considerably Mel Travers had a beautiful young wife and is suggested that he got together all the ready money he could for the purpose of paying the premiums on a life insurance for his wife's benefit and then committed suicide. Such a thing is not uncommon. In any case, my friend Alfred Wright, who is a director of the Northern Europe Union, has asked me to investigate the facts of the case, but as I told him, I'm not very hopeful of success. If the cause of the death had been heart failure, I should have been more sanguine. His heart failure may always be translated as the inability of the local GP to discover what his patient really did die of, but a hemorrhage seems fairly definite. Still, we can but make some necessary inquiries. Five minutes to pack your bag, Hastings, and we will take a taxi to Liverpool Street. About an hour later, we alighted from Great Eastern Train, at a little station of Marsden Lee. Inquiries at the station yielded the information that Marsden Manor was about a mile distant. Perriot decided to walk and we betook ourselves along the main street. What is our plan of campaign? I asked. First, I will call upon the doctor. I have ascertained that there is only one doctor in Marsden Lee, Dr. Ralph Bernard. Ah, here we are at his house. The house in question was a kind of superior cottage, standing back a little from the road. A brass plate on the gate bore the doctor's name. We passed up the path and rang the bell. We proved to be fortunate in our call. It was a doctor's consulting hour, and for the moment, there were no patients awaiting for him. Dr. Bernard was an elderly man, high-shouldered, and stooping with a pleasant vagueness of manner. Peria introduced himself and explained the purpose of our visit, adding that insurance companies were bound to investigate fully in a case of this kind. "'Of course, of course,' said Dr. Bernard vaguely. "'I suppose as he was such a rich man, his life was insured for a big sum. "'You consider him a rich man, doctor?' "'The doctor looked rather surprised. "'Was he not? "'He kept two cars, you know, and Marsden Manor is a pretty big place to keep up, "'although I believe he bought it very cheap.' "'I understand that he had had considerable losses of late,' said Perriot, "'watching the doctor narrowly. "'The latter, however, merely shook his head sadly.' Is that so? Indeed, it is fortunate for his wife, then, that there is life insurance. A very beautiful and charming young creature, but terribly unstrung by this sad catastrophe. A mass of nerves, poor thing. I have tried to spare her all I can, but of course the shock was bound to be considerable. You have been attending Mr. Miltravers recently? My dear sir, I never attended him. What? I understand Mr. Miltravers was a Christian scientist or something of that kind. But you examined the body? "'Certainly. I was fetched by one of the under-gardeners. "'And the cause of death was clear?' "'Absolutely. There is blood on the lips, "'but most of the bleeding must have been internal. "'Was he still lying where he had been found?' "'Yes, the body had not been touched. "'He was lying at the edge of a small plantation. "'He had evidently been out shooting rocks. "'A small rook rifle lay beside him. "'The hemorrhage must have occurred quite suddenly. "'Gastric ulcer, without a doubt. "'No question of his having been shot at. "'My dear sir.' I demand pardon, Superior, humbly, but if my memory is not at fault, in the case of a recent murder, the doctor first gave the verdict of heart failure, altering it when the local constable pointed out that there is a bullet wound through the head. You will not find any bullet wounds on the body of Mr. Maltravers, said Dr. Bernard dryly. Now, gentlemen, if there is anything further, we took the hint. Good morning, and many thanks to you, doctor, for so kindly answering our questions. By the way, you saw no need for an autopsy? Certainly not. The doctor became quite apoplectic. The cause of death was clear, and in my profession, we see no need to distress unduly the relatives of a dead patient. And turning, the doctor slammed the door sharply in our faces. And what do you think of Dr Bernard Hastings inquired period as we proceeded on our way to the manor? Rather an old ass. Exactly. Your judgment of character are always profound, my friend. I glanced at him uneasily, but he seemed perfectly serious. A twinkle, however, came into his eye, and he added slyly. That is to say, when there is no question of a beautiful woman. I looked at him coldly on our arrival at the manor house the door opened to us by a middle-aged parlor maid pirouette handed her his card and a letter from the insurance company for mrs maltravers she showed us into a small morning room and retired to tell her mistress about 10 minutes elapsed and then the door opened a slender figure in widow's weeds stood upon the threshold monsieur Perriot, she faltered madame Perriot sprang gallantly to his feet and hastened towards her I cannot tell you how I regret to derange you in this way, but will you, les affaires, they know no mercy. Mrs. Maltravers permitted him to lead her to a chair. Her eyes were red with weeping, but the temporary disfiguration could not conceal her extraordinary beauty. She was about twenty-seven or eight, and very fair, with large blue eyes and a pretty pouting mouth. It is something about my husband's insurance, is it? But must I be bothered now, so soon?' Courage, my dear madam. Courage. You see, your late husband insured his life for a rather large sum, and in such a case, the company always has to satisfy itself as to a few details. They have empowered me to act for them. You can rest assured that I will do all in my power to render the matter not too unpleasant for you. Will you recount to me briefly the sad events of Wednesday? I was changing for tea when my maid came up. One of the gardeners had just run to the house. He had found... Her voice trailed away. Periot pressed her hand sympathetically. I comprehend enough. You had seen your husband earlier in the afternoon? Not since lunch. I had walked down to the village for some stamps and I believe he was out pottering around the grounds. Shooting rocks, eh? Yes, he usually took his little rook rifle with him and I heard one or two shots in the distance. Where is his little rifle now? In the hall, I think. She led the way out of the room and found and handed the little weapon to Periot who examined it curiously two shots fired i see he observed as he handed it back and now madam if i might see he paused delicately the servant shall take you she murmured averting her head the parlor maid summoned led pirouette upstairs and i remained with the lovely and unfortunate woman it was hard to know whether to speak or remain silent i essayed one or two general reflections to which she responded absently and in a very few minutes pirouette rejoined us I thank you for all of your courtesy, madam. I do not think you need to be troubled any further with this matter. By the way, do you know anything of your husband's financial position? She shook her head. Nothing, whatever. I'm very stupid over business things. I see. Then you can give us no clue as to why he suddenly decided to insure his life. He had not done so previously, I understand. Well, we had only been married a little over a year; but as to why he insured his life, it was because he had absolutely made up his mind that he would not live long; he had a strong premonition of his own death; I gathered that he had had one hemorrhage already, and that he knew that another would prove fatal; I tried to dispel these gloomy fears of his, but without avail; alas! he was only too right tears in her eyes she bade us a dignified farewell periwatt made a characteristic gesture as we walked down the drive together ah bien that is that back to london my friend there appears to be no mouse in this mess hall and yet yet what a slight discrepancy is all you notice it you did not still life is full of discrepancies and assuredly the man cannot have taken his own life there is no poison that would fill his mouth with blood No, no, I must resign myself to the fact that here is clear and above board. But who is this? A tall young man was striding up the drive towards us, and he passed us without making any sign, but I noted that he was not ill-looking, with a lean, deeply bronzed face, his book of life, in a tropic climb. A gardener, who was sweeping up leaves, had paused for a minute in his task, and Pirouat ran quickly up to him. Tell me, I pray you, who is that gentleman? Do you know him? I don't remember his name, sir, though I did hear it. He was staying down here last week for a night. Tuesday, it was. Quick, mon ami, let us follow him. We hastened up the drive after the retreating figure. A glimpse of a black-robed figure on the terrace at the side of the house, and our query swerved as we after him, so that we were witnessing of the meeting. Mrs. Maltravers almost staggered where she stood, and her face blanched noticeably. "'You,' she gasped. "'I thought you were on the sea on your way to East Africa. "'I got some news from my lawyers that detained me,' explained the young man. "'My old uncle in in Scotland died unexpectedly and left me some money. "'Under the circumstances, I thought it better to cancel my passage. "'And then I saw this bad news in the paper, "'and I came down to see if there was anything I could do, do. "'You'll want someone to look after things for you for a bit, perhaps?' At the moment they became aware of our presence, Periwatt stepped forward and, with many apologies, explained that he had left his stick in the hall. Rather reluctantly to me, it seemed, Mrs. Meltravers made the necessary introduction. Monsieur Periwatt, Captain Black. A few minutes chat ensued, and of course of which, Periwatt elicited the fact that Captain Black was putting up at the Anchor Inn. The missing stick not having been discovered, which was not surprising, Periwatt uttered more apologies and he withdrew. We returned to the village at a great pace, and Pirawat made a beeline for the Anchor Inn. Here we established ourselves until we, until our friend the captain returns. He explained. You noticed that I emphasised the point that we were returning to London by the first train. Possibly you thought I meant it, but no. You observed Mrs Maltravers' face when she caught sight of Young Black. She was clearly taken aback, and he, Epien, he was very devoted. Did you not think so? and here he was on a Tuesday night, the day before Mr. Maltravers died, and must investigate the doings of Captain Black Hastings. In about a half hour, we espied our query approaching the inn. Perawat went on and accosted him, and presently brought him up to the room we had engaged. "'I have been telling Captain Black of the Mission, which brings us here,' he explained. "'You can understand, Monsieur le Captain, that I am anxious to arrive at Mr. Maltravers' state of mind immediately before his death, "'and that at the same time I do not wish to distress Mrs. Maltravers unduly by asking her painful questions. "'Now you were here just before the occurrence and can give us equally valuable information.' "'I'll do anything I can to help you, I'm sure,' replied the young soldier. "'But I'm afraid I didn't notice anything out of the ordinary. "'You see, although Multravers was an old friend of my people's, "'I didn't know him very well myself. "'You came down when?' "'Tuesday afternoon. "'I went up to town early Wednesday morning "'as my boat sailed from Tilbury about twelve o'clock, "'but some news I got made me alter my plans, "'and I dare say you heard me explain to Mrs. Travers. "'You were returning to East Africa, I understand.' "'Yes,' I've been at there ever since the war great country exactly now what was the talk about the dinner on tuesday night oh i don't know the usual topics mel travers asked after my pupils and then we discussed the questions of german reparations and then mrs mel travers asked a lot of questions about east africa and i told them one or two yarns that's about all i think thank you periwat was silent for a moment then he said gently, ''With your permission, I should like to try a little experiment. You have told us all your, your conscious self knows. I want to question your subconscious self.'' ''Psychoanalysis, what?'' said Black with visible alarm. ''Oh no, Periwatt, reassuringly. You see, it's like this. I gave you a word, you answer with another, and so on. Any word, the first one you think of, shall we begin?'' ''All right,'' said Black slowly, but he looked uneasy.'' Note down the words, please, Hastings, said Pirouat, and he took from his pocket a big turnip-faced watch and laid it on the table beside him. We will commence. Day. There was a moment's pause, and Black replied, night. As Pirawat proceeded, his answers came quicker. "Name," the Pirouat. Place. Bernard. Shaw. Tuesday. Dinner. Journey. Ship. Country. Uganda. Story. Lions. Rook rifle. Farm. Shot. Suicide. Elephant. Tusks. Money. Lawyers. "'Thank you, Captain Black. "'Perhaps you could spare me a few minutes "'in about a half hour's time.' "'Certainly the young soldier looked at him curiously "'and wiped his brow as he got up. "'And now Hastings, appeared, smiling at me "'as the door closed behind him. "'You see it all, do you not?' "'I don't know what you mean. "'Does this list of words tell you nothing?' "'I scrutinized it, but was forced to shake my head.' I will assist you. To begin with, Black answered well with the normal time limit with no pauses so we can take it that he himself has no guilty knowledge to conceal, day to night, place to name, or normal associations. I began to work with Bernard, which might have suggested the local doctor had come across him at all. Evidently, he had not. After our recent conversation, he gave dinner to my Tuesday, but journey and country were answered by ship in Uganda showing clearly that it was his journey abroad that was important to him and not the one which brought him down here. Story recalls to him one of the lion stories he told at dinner. I proceed to Rook Rifle and he answered with totally unexpected word farm. When I say shot he answers at once suicide. The association seems clear. A man he knows committed suicide with a rook rifle on a farm somewhere. Remember, too, that his mind is still on the stories he told at dinner, and I think you will agree that I shall not be far from the truth. I recall Captain Black and ask him to repeat the particular suicide story which he told at the dinner table on Tuesday evening. Black was straightforward enough over the matter. "'Yes, I did tell them a story. "'Now I co- that I come to think of it, "'Chap shot himself on a farm out there. "'Did it with a rook rifle through the roof of the mouth, "'bullet lodged in the brain. "'Doctors were no end of the puzzle over it. There's nothing to show "'except a little blood on the lips. "'But what? "'What has it got to do with Mr. Maltravers? "'You did not know, I see, "'that he was found with a rook rifle by his side. "'You mean my story suggested to him? "'Oh, but that's awful.' Do not distress yourself. It would have been one way or another. Well, I must get on the telephone to London. You are listening to the Nighttime Short Stories podcast, where we read a new short story from long ago to modern day authors every Friday night at 9 55 PM Eastern standard time. So be sure to check out the Facebook page under the same name. There's a link in the bio for daily information, photos, quotes, and interesting facts and bios on authors showcase for the week. If you know of anyone that you think would enjoy the podcast as well, please be sure to share it. Out. And again, thank you for listening. Peruvot had a lengthy conversation over the wire and came back thoughtful. He went off by himself in the afternoon, and it was not till seven o'clock that he announced that he could put it off no longer, but must break the news to the young widow. My sympathy had already gone out to her unreservedly. To be left penniless and with the knowledge that her husband had killed himself, to assure her future was a hard burden for any woman to bear. I cherished a secret hope, however, the young Black might prove capable of consoling her after her first grief had passed. He evidently admired her enormously. Our interview with the lady was painful. She refused vehemently to believe the facts that Perawat advanced, and when she was at last convinced, broke down into bitter weeping. An examination of the body turned our suspicions into certainty. Perrot was very sorry for the poor lady, but after all, he was employed by the insurance company, and what could he do? As he was preparing to leave, he said gently to Mrs. Maltravers, "'Madam, you of all people should know that there are no dead.' "'What do you mean?' she faltered, her eyes growing wide. "'Have you never taken part in spiritualistic seances? "'You are a mediumistic, you know.' i've been told so but you do not believe in spiritualism surely madam i've seen some strange things you know that they say in the village that this house is haunted she nodded and at that moment the parlor maid announced that dinner was ready won't you just stay and have something to eat we accepted gratefully and i felt that our presence could not but help distract her a little from her own grief we had just finished our soup when there was a scream outside the door and the sound of breaking crockery we jumped up the parlor maid appeared her hand to her heart. It was a man standing in the passage. Parabot rushed out, returning quickly. There is no one there. Isn't there, sir? said the parlor maid weakly. Oh it did give me a start. But why? She dropped her voice to whisper. I thought I thought it was the master. It looked like him. I saw Mrs. Meltravers give a terrified start, and my mind flew to the old superstition that a suicide cannot rest. She thought of it too, I'm sure. For a minute later, she got Pirouette's arm with a scream. Didn't you hear that? Those three taps on the window? That's how he always used to tap when he passed around the house. The ivy, I cried. It was ivy against the pain. But a sort of terror was gaining on us all. The parlour maid was obviously unstrung, and when the meal was over, Mrs Maltravers besought Pirawat not to go at once. She was clearly terrified to be left alone. We sat in the little morning room. The wind was getting up, and the moaning round the house in an eerie fashion. Twice the door of the room came unlatched, and the door slowly opened. And each time she clung to me with a terrified gasp. Ah, oh, but the door! It is bewitched! cried Pirawat angrily at last. He got up and shut it once more and turned the key in the lock. "'I shall lock it so.' "'Don't do that,' she gasped. "'If it should come open now.' And even as she spoke, the impossible happened. The locked door slowly swung open. I could not see into the passage from where I sat, but she and Pirawat were facing it. She gave one long shriek, and she turned to him. "'You saw him there in the passage?' she cried. He was staring down at her with a puzzled face and shook his head. "'I saw him. My husband. You must have seen him, too.' "'Madame, I saw nothing. You are not well. Unstrung. I am perfectly well. I... Oh, God!' Suddenly, without any warning, the lights quivered and went out. Out of the darkness came three loud raps. I could hear Mrs. Maltravers moaning, and then I saw. The man I had seen on the bed upstairs stood facing there, uh, gleaming with a faint ghostly light. There was blood on his lips, and he held his right hand out, pointing... Suddenly, a brilliant light seemed to proceed from it. It passed over Perawat and me and fell on Mrs. Maltravers. I saw her white, terrified face and something else. My God, Perawat, I cried. Look at her hand. Her right hand, it's all red. Her own eyes fell on it, and she collapsed in a heap on the floor. Blood, she cried hysterically. Yes, it's blood. I killed him. I did it. He was showing me, and then I put my hand to the trigger and pressed. Save me from him. Save me. He's come back her voice died away in a gurgle lights said pirouette briskly the lights went on as if by magic that's it he continued you heard hastings and you everett oh by the way this is mr everett rather a fine member of the theatrical profession i phoned him to this afternoon his makeup is good isn't it quite like the dead man and with the pocket torch of the necessary phosphorescence he made by proper impressions i shouldn't touch her right now if I were you, Hastings, red paint marks so. When the lights went out, I clasped her hand, you see. And by the way, we mustn't miss our train. Inspector Japp is outside the window. A bad night, but he has been able to while away the time by tapping on the window every now and then. You see, continued Pirawat as we walked briskly from the wind and rain, there was a little discrepancy. The doctor seemed to think that the deceased was a Christian scientist. And who could have given him that impression but Mrs. Meltravers. But to us, she, repre- she represented him as being a grave state of apprehension about his own health. Again, why was she so taken aback by the reappearance of the young black? And lastly, although I know that convention decrees that a woman must make a decent pretense of mourning for a husband, I do not care for such heavily rouged eyelids. You did not observe them, Hastings, no. As I always tell you, you see nothing. Well, there it was. There were two possibilities. Did Black Story suggest an ingenious method of committing suicide to Mr. Meltravers, Or did his other listener, the wife, see an equally ingenious method of committing murder? I inclined to the latter view. To shoot himself in the way indicated, he would have had to pull the trigger with his toe. Or at least so to imagine. Now, if Mr. Meltravers had been found with one boot off. We should almost certainly have heard it from someone. An odd detail like that would have been remembered. No, as I say, I inclined to the view that it was a case of murder, not suicide, but I realized that I had not a shadow of proof in support of my theory, hence the elaborate little comedy you played tonight. Even now, I don't quite see all the details of the crime, I said. Let us start from the beginning. Here is a shrewd, scheming woman who, knowing of her husband's financial debacle and tired of his elderly mate, she is only married for his money induces him to insure his life for a large sum and then seeks for the means to accomplish her purpose an accident gives her that the young soldier's strange story the next afternoon when monsieur le captain as she thinks is on the high seas she and her husband are strolling round the grounds what a curious story that was last night she observes could a man shoot himself in such a way Do show me if it is possible. The poor fool, he shows her. He places the end of the rifle in his mouth, and she stoops down, puts her finger on the trigger, laughing up at him. And now, sir, she says saucily, supposing I pull the trigger. And then, and then Hastings. She pulls it. Until next time. You have been listening to the Nighttime Short Stories Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and come back every Friday night at 9.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new Author of the Week. Thank you for listening. Until next time.